The first sign that something is amiss at Lee Harris's house is the plastic bottles. Some bottles of water outside. Lots of them. Dozens of clear one-gallon bottles lined up outside the front door. Nice shirt. I love Arcade Fire. A fit blonde woman wearing an Arcade Fire t-shirt and a wide scarf holding her hair back comes out to greet me and my producer, Caitlin. Caitlin, nice to meet you. (laughs) Welcome to our house out in real paradise. You can see that we have the most beautiful views of the mountains. We're surrounded by trails. It's really a hiker's, horseback rider's, mountain biker's paradise. But the problem is, as you can see, we have a price to pay. Inside, more bottles on the kitchen counter and all over the tile floor, which Lee admits hasn't been cleaned in a while. Now you have to promise me to not think untoward of us because we've been literally camping in this house uh, for six months now with no real running water. We do our best. We can't wash the floors or do things that normal water. You, you don't really think about how you use water on an everyday basis when it's just flowing from taps. She could turn on the taps and clean water would come out, but at a price Lee can no longer afford. Because here in Rio Verde foothills, in the scrub outside Scottsdale, Arizona, Lee and her husband Frank are among hundreds of people scrambling for water after the city cut them off. It's mid-June, and for more than six months at this point, Lee and Frank have been doing everything they can to avoid turning on their taps. I kept reaching for that faucet handle, and I kept going, oh, darn, I did it again. I can't keep doing this. And I literally took a um, pack of rubber bands, I mean, really strong ones, and I banded all of the handles. And when that didn't work? I stuck post-it notes with, please do not use this. And it, it was pretty much for me. I, and I, I just, you need to break yourself of that muscle memory of turning on and off a faucet. Lee and Frank are both semi-retired. She works at an assisted living facility, Frank at a grocery store. To get by, they've been living on water borrowed from work or friends' houses and collecting rainwater to flush their toilets and water their plants. But out here, during one of the hottest and driest summers on record, there hasn't been much rain, nearly none at all. And they're doing whatever they can to save every last drop that they have. I'm standing in my master bathroom shower. I've got um, uh, several buckets of rainwater. It takes about two gallons to flush a toilet. And we go ahead and put it into the tank uh, behind the toilet. So here you go. to stay in our house, right? You've got to do what you got to do. I'm Amy Scott. Welcome to How We Survive, a podcast from Marketplace about people navigating solutions to a changing climate. This season, we're focusing on water scarcity in the American West and taking a close look at some of the people adapting to and cashing in on that scarcity. This episode, we're following the story of one woman, Lee Harris, 
and her husband, Franck Avril, and how they got to this point of camping in their own home. It's a story about what happens when you think you've bought into the American dream, but then you find out that dream doesn't include water. This is episode four, The Price of Paradise. Lee Harris is the resilient type. For years, she worked as a news producer for local radio in Arizona, taking helicopter lessons to do weather and traffic reports. She grew up the youngest of six kids in upstate New York and spent a lot of time on Lake George, where her family would camp out for weeks at a time in the summer. I never, ever had to worry about there not being water. Fast forward a few decades and a few thousand miles, and Lee, nearing her 60s, found herself living in a condo in Scottsdale, Arizona, looking for a new house with her partner, Frank. Frank and I are big outdoors people. We love hiking. And we'd be looking down over this very large expanse of desert, and we'd see houses kind of placed in and around this gorgeous Sonoran desert type of landscape, and we go, you know, that's that's a really pretty area. Rocky hills with tall saguaro cacti and mesquite trees. What they were looking at was Rio Verde Foothills, an unincorporated community in Maricopa County. They found a place that seemed perfect, right next to the hiking trails they loved, a stucco house with high ceilings and a fireplace, and 35 windows to take in the mountain views. There was just one catch. Yeah, it's a beautiful home, but it is completely, you know, dependent on hauled water. Like many houses in rural communities, this one didn't come with a built-in supply of water, no pipes connected to a city water utility, but also no well to draw from. Instead, it had a 5,000-gallon underground water tank, which they'd have to pay someone in a huge truck to come and fill. Before they made an offer on the house, Lee called up her brother's friend who lived in the area. And uh, I said, you know, what's, what's the deal? I mean, hauled water, I'm having a truck deliver the water, how many gallons? 5,000, 6,000 gallons? I mean, isn't that a little strange? And he said, no, actually, there's a lot of homes that do it, but the hauled water that you'll get is the city of Scottsdale. So it is clean and safe and potable. Scottsdale is the nearest city. Guys in big trucks would buy water from the city and bring it out to Lee. It made her pause. It brought to mind the fact that we are on our own little island in this house, and it is a beautiful little, you know, island of paradise, but we have finite resources. And that tank was our finite resource. Still, for its size and beauty, the house was affordable, by Scottsdale standards, about a half a million dollars. It would be a stretch. Frank's mom has Alzheimer's disease, and he pays for her expensive care. You know, he blew most of his retirement just being able to get her into a care that would allow her to be, you know, clean and happy and, and taken care of by nurses. But between the sale of the condo and their income from Social Security and their hourly jobs, they thought they could make it work. The house was too beautiful to pass up. Plus, there was this other thing. 
Its acoustics are superb. Franck, an accomplished classical oboist, fell in love, and I'm not kidding here, with the walls. Because the walls are circular, it's resonant but without being bouncy. Anytime, day or night, I can practice the oboe. You had a very specific wish list for a house. Absolutely. So, with her brother's friend's reassurances, Lee and Franck went for it. The day they moved in, in 2019, Lee could hardly believe it was hers. I'd look out the window and I'd see four peaks in the sunset. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm the luckiest person. It all felt so perfect. Just every now and then, that water situation nagged at the back of Lee's mind. She made a vow. We'll do the best we can on making sure that the water situation doesn't chase us from our dream home as we get into our older years. Six months after moving in, Lee was out driving when she noticed something. I started seeing signs on uh, the rural metro fire department property that said, got water? She was intrigued. What could that be about? I immediately thought, This is not a good sign. (laughs) I mean, the banner was a good banner, but this is not a good sign for us as a community if there is a question about water supply. At the time, Lee and Frank were paying about 130 bucks per water delivery. They could stretch that water five to six weeks before needing a refill. When she got home, Lee pulled up the website she'd seen on the banner. And it said, if you want to secure your property, then you can sign the petition and say that you're going to, you know, put a certain amount of money towards buying property in the Harquahala Valley west of Phoenix. And I said, well, that's an interesting development. The website said a group of residents would be holding meetings about forming something very jargony, an organization called a Domestic Water Improvement District. And so I called my brother's friend and I said, "Um, so what's the deal with this Domestic Water Improvement District thing? And he said, oh, well, it's probably just people wanting to make extra money. I wouldn't pay any attention to it. The city of Scottsdale's never going to cut you off. Don't, don't you worry about it. And I went, oh, okay. Click. But the more she thought about it, the more she thought maybe she and Frank should at least check out one of those meetings. And I put it off, and I put it off until, like, the very last meeting. And then we went and we listened. It was December of 2020, in the midst of the COVID crisis, and it was at that meeting in the driveway outside someone's home that Lee and Frank heard about a scary situation for the first time. They learned that years earlier, the city of Scottsdale had warned the two main water hauling companies in the community that it might have to cut off water to Rio Verde foothills, part of a plan to address the ongoing drought they tried to let us know that there was an oncoming train way in the distance, but that it would arrive if that drought continued. So that's what the meeting was about, finding another source of water in case that train arrived and Scottsdale cut them off. Remember the Harquahala Valley from episode one? 
the people at the meeting wanted to buy their own farmland there for its water rights, so they'd have a backup supply. To do that, they'd need to form a quasi-government entity, that Domestic Water Improvement District, a.k.a. a DWID. When news about the potential DWID spread in the area, the backlash was swift. To many people, this was setting up a new layer of government, and a lot of people had moved far out into the foothills to be left alone. About a 20-minute drive from Lee and Frank's house, Caitlin and I went to see Christy Jackman. Wow, look at this view. It's getting a little warm. It's chore time. Oh. Well, this is my morning tasks. I come out and muck the stalls and feed the horses. Christy owns Donkey Holler Ranch, an equine boarding business in Rio Verde. In here, there's five that are boarded, one donkey, one mini, and one horse that's mine. She's dressed in jean shorts and cowboy boots and a tank top that says... your shirt here. Never underestimate a woman who loves donkeys. I love that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the truth. It is the truth. That's Cheeks. He's my donkey. Most of mine are rescues, and he came to me so incredibly obese. And I'd never seen butts so big on a donkey, so I named him Cheeks. Christie's lived here for 14 years and has a well on her property and access to another shared well down the road. I have one for the ranch and one for the home. And this could have handled, the, the ranch one could have handled mine, but I didn't want to tax it too much. And there are three other homes on it. Watching her fill up a red bucket with water from a hose and the horses splashing around in it, I can't help but think of Lee Harris and all her water bottles. Christy says she's not worried about her own supply. We're in a really good well area. What we have are fingers here. So the fingers, if you get lucky and you tap into one, there you go. You've got water. Like a lot of people up here who have wells, Christy opposed the DWID that would have helped her neighbors buy water from the Harquahala Valley. She was worried about the powers this new quasi-government entity would have. They had the power to tax. They had the power to annex. And those of us who have been here a long, long time on wells, we were concerned that, you know, a group of ambitious neighbors who don't have any skills in building this kind of a system was going to try to do so and be given all the powers of a state government entity. Christy does feel for her neighbors. She's even shared her well water with some of them. A lot of us have pitched in to help. Have to. These are neighbors. They didn't do this on purpose. She says the bigger picture here is that home builders have taken advantage of a loophole in the law. If you've been listening to this season, you know that Arizona law requires builders of new subdivisions here to prove they have a 100-year supply of water. But a subdivision is defined as six or more lots. A lot of the land out here is divided into, guess what, five lots or fewer. So builders don't have to prove they can provide that water. They're known as wildcat developments. Problem is you don't put houses for sale 
when there's no water underneath you in a place like this. You don't pop up five in a row to make a quick profit and then say, well, you're hauled water. Because look what happens. <laughs> we don't have hauled water. Do Never. you blame the builders or the, the home buyers who didn't maybe read the fine print? I don't blame the whole home buyers in this case because all they did was buy a home, but when it says hauled water on the disclosure sheet, even if they say, what does that mean? They've been told, well, essentially it's Scottsdale water. You're moving into Scottsdale. So Scottsdale just lets trucks bring it to you. It's a different method of delivery. They were fooled. They were tricked. The old timers that are on hauled water knew what they were doing. And at that point, we didn't have any fears of Scottsdale shutting us off because, you know, there might have been 50 homes at the most that needed some help. Today, there are around 500 homes that rely entirely on hauled water, and they keep getting built. Caitlin and I saw several under construction as we drove through the area. Some of these houses are just, like, they've totally, as she said, scraped the desert, put in gravel, there's nothing growing. A bill to close the so-called wildcat loophole didn't go anywhere this year. It needs to be fixed. It really does. This is a fragile environment. And they just come in and they'll take 20 acres and they'll just take all the plants off. What they're doing is, is a domino effect of disaster. So I would like to see the legislature buckle down and fix this. In the end, the DWID opponents won out, but the drought dragged on. In the winter of 2021, Lake Mead, the reservoir formed by the Hoover Dam that supplies water to states across the West, had dropped to an all-time low. And Scottsdale did what it had threatened to do years before. The city made an announcement. January 1st of 2023, we will no longer allow anyone who is not a Scottsdale resident or business to buy any more water from our standpipe, and they were definitive about it. And I can tell you I lost a lot of sleep on those nights because, A, I was very, I was scared, I was angry, I was disappointed, and here we had put all of our nest egg money into this house because we loved it so, and that was what was required for us to actually get the house. We have our beautiful home, but how are we going to live with it, in it without any water? We find out after the break. How We Survive is brought to you by you. That's right, we are public media, and donations from you, our audience, are the most important part of our budget. You help cover the cost of the rigorous reporting you're hearing in this episode. This kind of work takes a lot of time and resources, so please give what you can to help us out. Every donation makes a difference. Go to marketplace.org survive or click the link in our show notes. After Scottsdale announced it would stop selling water to Rio Verde foothills, Lee and Frank had one year to prepare. They looked into drilling their own well, but it was expensive, tens of thousands of dollars, and there was no guarantee they'd hit water. A neighbor's well had totally dried up. 
They started tracking every drop in a spreadsheet, how much water a load of laundry used, how much water it took to shower or wash their hands. I'm pretty good at Excel. Yeah, he's really good at that. (laughs) They invested in a rainwater harvesting system, installing a 2,500-gallon tank to collect rainwater as it poured from scuppers on the roof, along with other smaller tanks and containers, and stored up as much as they could. After every storm, they'd transfer water from their rainwater tanks into smaller one-gallon, think milk jug-sized, containers. So their tank would be ready to capture more water during the next storm. That's what Caitlin and I saw lined up outside the house. So I'm filling up one gallon here, Frank's doing the other one. And so once we're finished with this, this will be at least one toilet flush between these two. As the clock ran out, Lee and Frank scrambled to secure one final drinking water delivery before the price rocketed up a backup supply for guests and emergencies. And on January 1st, 2023, Scottsdale officially turned off the water to Rio Verde foothills. The city of Scottsdale stopped the transportation of water, making good on a year's worth of warnings that the municipal water supply was running dry. Tonight, the community desperately searching for a source of water. Water tanks and reservoirs here at homes in the Rio Verde foothills community are running low with no guarantee that they're going to be refilled. People living on hauled water would have to buy it somewhere else. Instead of driving the 15 minutes or so to Scottsdale and back, the water haulers now had to drive hours away to fill up. And for Lee and Frank, the price jumped from about $130 for a full tank to more than $500. Because of not the water, but the diesel, the cost of diesel to truck in that water from more distant points. At that rate, their monthly costs would work out to about $380. For context, the average water bill for a single-family house in Scottsdale is $84. When we visited in June, Lee and Frank had shelled out for just two partial deliveries since Christmas. To conserve that water, they ate a lot of packaged soups and rice, things that don't use water. We use whatever you can stick in a microwave and not add anything to it. Lee started showering at a gym near her work. That's a friend's membership, and they made allowance for me to shower after work at this fitness club. And when they do need to shower at home... We really just take military showers, and because Frank has got the small container that catches all of your runoff of your body while you're showering, um, the military showers, you know, yield enough for him to be able to flush his toilet maybe twice. Not a drop wasted. The average American household uses around 82 gallons per person per day at home, according to the EPA, for things like taking showers, brushing teeth, drinking, making coffee. So for a household of two, that'd be about 160 gallons. We haven't used our dishwasher maybe twice since Christmas, and we do do laundry here and there. Lee figures they've cut their water use down to about 16 gallons a day. I probably used more than that when I showered this morning. I mean, some people might hear this and say, well, why don't they leave? I mean, if you were to try to sell this house, would you be able to? No, 
I mean, we could probably sell it for maybe a, a quarter of what's it, what it's worth. But for my husband and I, this is our nest egg. This is everything we have. And if we had to sell it at a rock bottom price, we'd lose everything that we had worked for for most of our lives as professionals. After our visit to Lee and Frank's house in June, they were hit with a summer heat wave that just wouldn't let up. Phoenix reported record heat and record drought. The summer monsoons didn't come, making it the driest summer on record since 1895. People were getting burns just by touching the pavement. Things started looking pretty dire. Okay. It is July 2nd, and it's 108 degrees outside, and the sun just went down, so uh, Frank and I are going ahead and filling up the buckets now that it's getting cooler. These are voice memos they sent me to let me know how they were doing. Each week, Frank, who's 70, transports 12, 13, 14 buckets full of water from the dwindling rainwater tank to the house. Lee brings plastic bottles to and from her job to get water she can drink and cook with. With these, we're able to wash our hands and kind of rinse our dishes. It's not heated or anything, so it's not necessarily the most hygienic stuff. Sometimes she fills them up at the drinking fountain, other times from a friend's house. I'm going to fill up some empty 28-ounce bottles of Gatorade that we already consumed, but now we can use to fill with just tap water so that we can wash our faces and hands and brush our teeth at home. It's like their whole life revolves around finding and transporting water from outside of their home. It's been a bummer uh, to try to figure out, okay, how long can I stay human in living in this type of situation where I can't, I can't wash myself in my own home? I'm just uh, getting tired of trying to figure out ways in order to save a couple of ounces of hot water here or, you know, the potable water from the city there. Phoenix would end up going a month without temperatures dropping below 110 degrees. The summer was so dry in the Phoenix area that the saguaro, the iconic cacti of the Southwest, were unable to take it and began collapsing. Hello. Hello, are you? Come on in and get out of the heat. In early August, I went back to see Lee and Frank. By this point, they'd gone eight months living on borrowed tap water and rainwater, and that was running out. We, we, were, we were getting pretty worried because one by one, we were emptying our tanks just to be able to flush our toilets. Five tanks turned into four tanks, then three, then two, then one. We were able to actually quantify that we probably could survive another six weeks to two months if we really got down on it of not flushing our toilets. Every week that went by with no rain got us further and further into that hole, and we were starting to get really worried. But finally, there was a solution in sight. 
the Arizona legislature had approved a bill allowing Rio Verde foothills to create what's called a standpipe district, not one of those dwids, but a different water-buying entity that would buy water from a private company and use Scottsdale's infrastructure to deliver it to Rio Verde foothills. Now the state legislature has created a water district, a brand new animal, never been seen before, um, but it might very well set legal precedent um, for the rest of the West. Lee says what happened in her community could be a cautionary tale for other rural places. So when I tell people I'm going to Rio Verde foothills, people in Arizona, water policy, They say, oh, but that's just such an outlier. That's just a few hundred homes. What's your response to that? What happened to us being the one community that was left without the chair in the game of musical chairs can happen to just about any rural community if they don't have that water source secured And I mean not just water credits or (laughs) this that looks like water is guaranteed. I'm talking about wet water. Knowing what you know now, looking back, if you're really honest with yourselves, was it a mistake? No. I mean, that's my answer right away. Yeah. I look outside and I see the beauty of this place. We love the Rio Verde foothills. I find this kind of hard to believe. It would be months before the new standpipe district would start delivering water. Why not cut their losses and start over somewhere a little easier? Like one woman I heard from who, after 18 years on hauled water in Rio Verde foothills, sold her house and moved. Believe it or not, there's still demand. A new family just bought the house on a dry lot next door to Lee and Frank. But as I'm wrapping up to leave, as the sun is about to set, they take me up onto their balcony to look out at the darkening McDowell Mountains. Oh, look at that color. And you see the colors changing on three peaks. Oh, it's why? so beautiful. Yes, that's why. Exactly. I can see why it's hard to leave. And in a way, Lee and Frank's experience is an extreme version of the kind of trade-offs we all may have to consider in the future. Under the growing threats from drought, extreme heat, wildfire, floods, what are we willing to endure to keep living in the places we love? And who will have a choice? Oh my gosh, here it comes. <laughs> here comes the water. A few months later, on October 21st, 2023, Lee and Frank sent me another dispatch. Uh, and the truck is just about to turn onto our property, coming down the driveway. This is massively exciting. <laughs> um, honey, water delivery truck's here. The truck backs down their long driveway. So now he's going back to the water truck to go ahead and turn on the spigot. The driver hums a happy tune as he connects a hose to their underground tank for the first time in months. Oh, here it comes. About nine months after Scottsdale shut them off, when Lee and Frank's tank was 44% full, 
the residents of Rio Verde foothills were finally able to access their new supply of water. So now they can clean their house, mop the floors, run the dishwasher. That's the sound of that glorious water going into our underground tank that will allow our house to become functional again. This doesn't mean a complete return to normal. They will still be paying high prices for water, about $340 for a full delivery. So that's more than double the amount before the water was cut off. The deal expires in two years. Long term, the private company will build its own infrastructure to deliver the water, and Scottsdale will be off the hook. Lee says she still plans to gather rainwater. She hates the idea of flushing the toilet with potable water. And she and Frank are installing a filtration system so they can drink rainwater if they have to. We're just about done with our rainwater filtration system so that we can be ready in case uh, we get cut off again by the city of Scottsdale in two years and two months from now. All this has meant that Lee and Frank have ended up retrofitting their house and are more prepared, physically and emotionally, for the reality of our climate-challenged future. These days, the lesson has been learned. You don't waste a drop of water. Not now. And he's unhooking the hoses now from the water truck. Because we emptied the water truck out. <laughs> Yoo-hoo! We got water! That's it for this episode. Next week, we'll visit a place that's trying to keep the water and the fun flowing. So we're standing in front of the Bellagio Hotel. There is a giant lagoon and showgirls and people walking around with giant daiquiris. The economic value of that fountain is unbelievable. It's become the symbol for the city. How Las Vegas became the poster child for conservation. Thanks for listening. And as always, if you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review and share with a friend. We appreciate it. How We Survive is hosted by me, Amy Scott. Peter Balanon-Rosen and Sophia Polisa Carr wrote this episode with me. Our producers include Haley Hirschman, Lena Fonsa, and Courtney Bergseeker. Help this season from Marketplace reporter Savannah Marr. Caitlin Esch is our senior producer. Our editor is Jasmine Romero. Sound design and original music by Chris Julin. And audio engineering by Brian Allison. Special thanks to John Gordon and Stephanie Seek. Our theme music is by Wonderly. Bridget Bodner is director of podcasts. Francesca Levy is executive director. Neil Scarborough is vice president and general manager of Marketplace. Marketplace.